and welcome to the Deep Spirituality Podcast, where we are focused on understanding the spiritual in everything. When we are deeply spiritual, we see God everywhere and in everything. We enjoy the world we see without ignoring the enormous possibilities existent in the unseen. Deep Spirituality is about reigniting our spiritual curiosity and renewing our spirit of discovery so we can know God as we have never known Him before. In today's episode, we are going to take a deep dive into the decline of Christianity. This by no means is a way of discrediting Christianity or any church. It's merely a discussion where we bring up statistics and our own personal thoughts about the current state of Christianity and what the future could be. This discussion is based on the most recent article on DeepSpirituality.net written by Russ Yule entitled The 21st Century Spiritual Theologian. I'm Cameron Straw, and in this episode, Ray Kim and I are joining Russ for this in-depth talk. We hope you enjoy it. Part of the paper which is referring to uh, the columnist David Brooks saying that We've reached a point in our society where we don't basically don't need public theologians anymore. And it goes like this. When Mr. Brooks says, quote, we basically don't have them anymore, unquote, in describing the relevance of public theologians today, it is not because the moral implications of our time are underwhelming, because they are overwhelming in different but equally significant, if not more dangerous ways. In the 1950s, only a few nations had access to weapons that could destroy humanity. Today, there are many, including the possibility of rogue terrorists obtaining them and wreaking indiscriminate destruction. We have the violence of mass shootings, moral complexities of genetic science, global warming, and the destabilizing impacts of globalization driven by the interconnected and deeply integrated world brought into existence through the invisible continent we call the Internet. In short, Today, you could argue that we have greater problems than they did then. Obviously, you cannot match World War II for, ma- for the massive amount of death. But when you look at the capacity for danger, uh, you could argue it's greater today. When you look at the mass shootings in America, when you look at the terrorism around the world, uh, when you look at, you know, if you go, to, go over to Africa and you look at, I think it's Nigeria, the kidnapping of young women, you, there's just a, a host of, of really terrible things going on, the opioid addiction uh, that exists today. Uh, when you look at the breakdown of the nuclear family, the number of, of groups, the demographics of uh, the United States where, you know, uh, the, the nuclear family has been broken down a lot by the um, racism, unemployment. Um, uh, it, there, it, it, we have absolutely got enough problems today that people should see their need. And I think there's evidence that they do see their need. I think the question is, why Christianity maybe isn't the place they're going to get that need met. I, I see. I definitely agree that like the, like you said, the times really are different, but society, there's a plenty of problems still for people to want to seek um, God, spirituality, but Christianity might not be the place. And I'm wondering is, um, you know, as I said, I grew up as a Christian, but one of the things that I really was unattracted by and eventually stopped going to church because of just saw all the hypocrisy. I saw, I was like, this is fake. This isn't real. Um, and I'm wondering is, um, is it because some people just aren't living Christianity or people don't see Christians really doing anything outside of their church? Like it's a really insular community, um, for the most part. And I think like Christians to me, when I think of Christianity, I don't think Christians are at the forefront of all these societal problems 
or really trying to help um, in a lot of ways. Um, and there's a lot of people doing a lot of good in the world, but they aren't necessarily Christians. And so to me, there's still, when, when I talk to friends, um, they, when they see Christianity, I think they can see hypocrisy or people that are just in a little religious, their own little church bubble. Um, and so do you think that's why Christianity stagnant or not attractive to people? You're, you're putting a big question before us. Why did I write in this paper called The Rise of the 21st Century Spiritual Theologian? Why did I say Christianity's in decline? That's the question you're asking. Why are you saying that? And I think a great text of scripture to get us started is Revelation 3. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Revelation 3, 1 through 3 in NIV. So the big question Cameron's put before us is why did I say in my paper that Christianity is in decline? And I, it goes on to say after that uh, biblical quote, reputation has a way of deceiving us. In the case of the church in Sardis, their reputation made them think they were alive when they were dead. They are called to wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die because their deeds or the purposes for which God had called them remained unfinished. You know, it's an interesting thing going on today. You hear it a lot about the woke movement and uh, varieties of people that are saying, you know, we've got to wake up and attack and deal with a variety of societal issues. In a sense, Revelation 3 is saying Christians need to get awake or woke. Uh, it goes on to say Revelation 3, 1 through 3 is written to the church in Thar Sardis, but the message crosses the centuries to speak to the church today. These verses teach us that if we do not wake up spiritually, then Jesus will come like a thief and take away our designation of those called to give voice to the heart of God. In Matthew 21, it talks about the fact that Jesus is basically talking to the Jews and says, look, if you're not going to take what we're giving, what God is giving to the world, then we're going to take that purpose away from you and give it to someone else. And I think a lot of people think well, that's terrible. God's not that way. But God is not into a church. He's not into a particular kind of people. I, I think the Bible's pretty clear on that. God is into his purposes. And so when you look at this in Revelation 3, and when you ask the question, could God get into a place where God's like, hey, I got to find some people who will take this thing. Here would be the reasons why. In 2010 to 2050, Pew Research is estimating that the population of the world will grow to 9.3 billion or 35%. Now, what is interesting about that growth of 35% is it is predicted that the Muslim religion will grow by 73%, but the Christian religion will grow at 35%, which is the population growth rate. So the growth rate of the population of the world is going to be 35%. And so we'll end up with 9.3 million or so. But the growth rate of Muslim or Islam, I should say, will be twice the rate almost of the growth rate of the population. 
because 35% is 70%. So it is, it's going to be twice the rate. So why is that the case? Why is it that people globally are going to be more into the Muslim religion than the Christian religion? And I write, setting aside both the Western religious and secular bias against Islam, we can resist the temptation to excuse the decline of Christianity because of birth rates. Choosing instead to assume the strength of Muslim marriages and families is the truth behind these numbers then objectively embrace the truth that Christianity is losing its influence on the world. In other words, what I'm saying is that instead of being negative on Islam and, and trying to find negative things to say, why not rather ask the question, maybe it's just more attractive. Maybe people just like it more. Then I go into and talk about the fact that you're going to see in that same time period, 2010 to 2050, 40 million people are going to switch into Christianity, but 106 million are going to leave it. So even if you were to debase and disregard the attractiveness of Islam, which I think has to be addressed um, as a reality because they have something that the world sees Christians don't. I think that's a fact. Uh, and that's even with terrorism going on. People still around the world are going, hey, I, I, I find something attractive about that. But if 40 million people are coming into Christianity and 106 million are leaving, a lot of that is because of this category called the nuns, people who are choosing none of the above. And some of those people choosing none of the above, David Brooks talks a lot about this, are going to hipster churches that don't resemble anything establishment and do not count themselves as part of the Christian faith. They, they, they count themselves, no, we don't want to have anything to do with that. So when you look at the statistics that are going on and how things are working and what's happening, it's, there's pretty compelling evidence that that Christianity is losing its influence rapidly. The final point I want to make, and I know it's a lot of numbers, but I just want to set the table with this, is that uh, when when the Gallup did research, they found that 24% of the people believe the Bible is the literal word of God, whereas 26% see it as a book of fables, legends, and history or moral precepts recorded by man. Now, what's important about this is it's sobering because, quote, this is the first time in Gallup's four-decade trend that biblical literalism has not surpassed biblical skepticism. That means in our time, for the first time in history, you've got a situation where people believe the Bible is more fable than truth. Finally, I end this part, and I'm just, I want to get you guys to talk about this and what you see in this and the data that is there, because I think this makes the case. Taken together as an honest look at the current and approaching trends lead us to one conclusion. Christianity, Christians, and our attendant churches have a set of problems we must solve. In my opinion, we're becoming irrelevant because of our biblical humanism. That means we have the Bible, but we're not spiritual, we're humanistic about it. We're about effort and rules, not about faith and the power of God working through our lives. Focus on people instead of God, that has become much more about people and going to a church with people like you and still churches. You know, what they said in the 60s is church is the most segregated hour in America. Nothing has changed about that. People basically go to church with the same color, same language, saying there's not a lot of diversity. So focus on people instead of God, superficial religiosity, acting on the outside in a way that you don't live on the inside, and a one-dimensional change-resistant mindset, meaning we want to live by the way we've done it forever, and we're not changing our minds, making us incapable of attracting anyone except the already convinced and converted. In short, though there are a number of exceptions, the 21st century church, as a general rule, lacks the God-centeredness with its resultant dynamism and attractiveness to inspire anyone outside the Christian ecosystem to search for faith there. What I'm saying essentially is 
the only people we're going to convince by doing things the same way and by doing things on the outside instead of changing the inside are people who already go to church. And that's pretty much what's happening. And they call it sheep shuffling, where people basically every four years they move in America, and when they move, they find a new church, and then they're counted as a member of that church. And then that church goes, oh, we grew. But what they really did is they got 100 Baptists from the Methodist, or 100 Methodists from the Baptist church. And I think you just got people moving from church to church to church and people calling that growth. Another statistic I think I cover in here is that mega churches, which are two t- churches with 2,000 people or more, they're basically drawing from the small churches because they have more resources. So they grow, but now you've got it to where I cover this in a Duke study, and you can read the paper to find the references. Um, the average church used to be 100 per people. It's now 75. So that's gone down in the last 15 or 20 years. So what you've got is people calling church growth something that isn't really church growth. It's just shuffling people from one church to the other. So when you look at all of that in aggregate, that's why I say Christianity is in decline. The data, I'm not, I'm not making an argument on I talked to this person or that person. The data is just, it's just, I think it's hard to make any argument other than to accept the reality. And that's a test of whether we as Christians have the humility to go, yeah, it, it's in decline. So that's why I, I wrote that it's in decline. Right. Yeah. It, it, well, when I read it, it was not only sobering, it was really compelling because did it surprise you? It did. What's, did what what the, did you not know? Because you may have known some of that stuff. What I didn't know was um, the – what I didn't know was the growth of Islam and how you connected it to – it's not so much about the religion itself. It simply might just be more attractive. And and then when Do you, you – see what, what I was trying to say in there too is – that, that in, in the world today, especially, I think, in Western countries that are experiencing terrorism, it's easy to demonize Islam. I'm not trying to do yes. that in the paper. I'm trying to say that I don't think we should be demonizing it. I think we mm-hmm. should respect it. And, and that's why, why you want to always talk about all religions. I think we should respect it and say, well, you know, one thing, I, and, and people may hate me saying this, but one thing you can say is their families tend to stick together. Right Now, people will talk about, well, there's oppression of the women. I get it. You can talk about anything negatively. I'm going to look at it positively and say there's a lot to learn there. So I want to ask you another question. How did you see Revelation 3? Because that's really the point. The point that, that biblically is God spoke to the churches in Sardis and said, you need to wake up because you're living off your reputation. Do you see that at all in the churches that you're, you're around, the Christians that you're around? A tendency to think you, we're right, we've got it together, and the only reason that more people aren't coming to our churches, they, they're lost in the darkness and have no idea of the truth. Instead of saying, no, maybe, that, maybe, maybe your house smells, and that's why people don't come <laughs> over. You know what I mean? Like, it could be that. Uh, it could be the, the 28-year-old you know, year uh, uh, fish that you have in the, in the, in the refrigerator that's rotting. It could be the, the poop from the dog on the carpet and the, and the urine smells. And instead, you're going, no, these people just don't know how to enjoy a great house. No, they just don't like the aroma. Yeah. Do you think there's anything to the potential that a lot of us as Christians are reputation riding? A lot of us as churches are reputation riding because America's been seen as a Christian nation. Oh, yeah. When I read that, I immediately thought this, I could personally relate to this. Because as the scripture talked about, and as the paper talks about in this section, it's so easy for me to focus on everything else and on what's the problem with this, or even 
as you refer to in a paper, to demonize Islam or other things, rather than questioning and examining, am I alive? Am I or am I spiritually dead? And I think me and, and many other people that I know personally, it is really easy to be very comfortable and snug for us to think, hey, because I believe in the quote-unquote right doctrine, or because I, um, I try to read my Bible every day and I pray every day, uh, I, I can't be that dead because I'm, I'm at least trying. Rather than looking at, wow, what am I really holding on to to base? Am I actually like attractive or making God attractive? So when you, 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 you so this is how I interpret what you're saying is that um, we can't say our Christianity is alive unless it's attractive. Yes, that the measure that we need to look at more is not do I read my Bible, not do I go to church, yes. but does anybody look and say? Hey, look at those people. If we look at Jesus, he was attractive. Crowds followed this guy. I mean, massive crowds. Yep. You look in the book of Acts. Did they get persecuted? Yes. But crowds follow these people. Yes. People say it's because of the miracles. No, if you look in there, it's not just the miracles. There's so much good that's done. Even if you look at the history of the first century churches and early church, they really ushered into the world a time where it used to be a time where you had the haves and have-nots. You had the king, right. the queen, the ruler, the, the nobles. They had the money, and everybody else was pretty much poor. Yep. Christianity came in and said, you know what? We're going to take care of the poor. And that really didn't exist prior no. to, to, to Christianity's influence, You know, which is why when you look at, uh, what is it, Max Weber's sociology book, you may be familiar with it, um, the Protestant uh, that talks about the Protestant work ethic. He basically loops in and says, you really can't have great capitalism without great Christianity because Christianity gives capitalism its heart. And so when you diminish capital, when you diminish Christianity and capitalism, or let's say get out of Christianity, if you diminish spirituality and capitalism, you suddenly will have more corruption and greed and, 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 and stinginess about helping people because you've lost that spiritual element. And so yes. I think that's what Christianity is supposed to bring. Yes. And that's maybe where it's talking about the, when I think in the scripture, it says, I know your deeds. I've found your deeds unfinished in my sight of my God. So I think just what you're saying, I'm hearing from both of you is that Christians are doing, I guess, following rules, but they're not really making an impact or living it to an extent. Because the other thing you brought up. Well, in, I don't want to indict all Christians. Yeah, right. I, I, that's why I talk about Christianity right. as, a, as a force. I think there are lots of great Christians out there. I think there's lots of great churches out there. But I think to, 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 I think to see the dream come true right. is, is more than one or two churches or even 10,000 churches or whatever. You, I mean, the world is big. Right. Yeah, it just reminds me of that quote you put in, the the Soren Kierkegaard quote. I really like that. It said, uh, he said, the matter is quite simple. The Bible is very easy to understand, but we Christians are a bunch of scheming swindlers. We pretend to be unable to understand it because we know very well that the minute we understand, we are obliged to act accordingly. Take any words in the New Testament and forget everything except pledging yourself to act accordingly. My God, you will say, if I do that, my whole life will be ruined how would I ever get on in the world? Herein lies the real place of Christian scholarship. And he goes on about Christian scholarship. But what he's saying just from that is like, I mean, just living the New Testament is is challenging. And I, I find it challenging personally, too. Um, but I think that when you talked about change and transformation, yeah. I think as uh, just Christianity in general, I think the culture can be more of like, 
comfortable, like we're good, we're, you know, we're, we're doing enough. And instead of like, when you look at the world and you look at all, all the needs, like, how can we really say that? Well, and again, I want to swing it around to, I'm yeah. not, I'm not, I mean, I know I, I guess I am. My main focus is not on you as Christians are terrible people. Right. No, That's yeah. not it. My main focus is on nobody's coming. Right. A lot of people are leaving. That's my main focus. So it, it's not even. But do it, you think it's because people aren't out there? I don't doing think there's a people thing. Oh, no. I think if you go people, then you're putting it on people. I think it's it's the way Christianity is evolving. I, I think the reason I write about in the paper spiritual theologians is because if you read the paper or if you skim it and, and go to the sections, a spiritual theologian is about getting people to be focused on God. It's about developing a level of spirituality unseen and, and never not experienced by man today. I think there are elements of, of, of deep spiritual experience that Christianity has not been able to help people gain. And as a result, they're going to nature, they're going to Buddhism, they're going to Taoism, they're going to a variety of different things because I think the soul hungers and wants, like, I want to be able to have this deep spiritual experience. But when they go to church, a lot of times all churches are the same, the same way they used to be in the 1940s. You come in, you, you take, everybody takes communion, you hear a sermon, you, and, and then you go home. And sometimes they don't even, there's just not this dynamic, powerful change experience. And that's what I believe in. And I'll tell you why. I think the reason I, the reason I want to start de-spirituality, and, and I know I don't have all the answers, I, I, I think that's the, the solution to being dead. Waking up is saying, there's something wrong. I don't know how to fix it, but I'm going to explore it and I'm going to discover it. And there'll be some people who are like, I don't want to hear this. I don't, I don't agree with you. That, that, I think that's great. That's fine. But to me, when I read Habakkuk 1.5, it's one of my favorite scriptures. It says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Now, the very religious Christian will say, but that's a context of where God's actually saying, I'm going to set the Babylonians loose on you to attack you. Yeah, okay. I mean, you can take a negative position like that and say it's only useful when it says God's going to go attack somebody. But it actually is saying God is capable of doing things that are so amazing if he told us we wouldn't believe it. I think in the world today, God wants to do something amazing. When I see the opioid addictions, when I see the, 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 the African-American kids, for whatever reason, being shot in the street by a variety of people, people that are African-American, people that are not well-trained law enforcement people, whatever it may be, when I see domestic abuse, when I see rampant poverty, when I see disease, when I see people don't have health care, I go, I think God, he wants to help with all that. But God has chosen to work through people. And so I think a first step is, do we believe in a God who will do amazing things? And I that's where I start is, do I have that sort of inspired mind? What do you think? Do you do like when you look at your relationship with God? Because that's what I'm fighting for. Do you guys feel like, man, I'm energized by God? I'm so excited about God. Like we were playing Rage Against the Machine beforehand. Yeah, <laughs> that music just kind of it just kind of it rages, right? Yeah. But it, it it do you guys feel like, hey, that's the kind of relationship with God I've got or I want? Because I'm trying to get that one, and I think. Really, the solution is, can you get spiritual theologians, people who have that kind of fire inside that they believe, hey, I'm going to be utterly amazed by God. God's going to do something I could never imagine. I'm, I'm, I'm looking because I know he's about to do it. Yeah, I mean, I think 
I mean, that's a good question. I don't think I can't say that I have that relationship with God right now. I definitely want that. I mean, it sounds inspiring. I think that's what the inspirational thing about your article was. Like I was even thinking about the public theologians and I was seeing, thinking about the difference between what, what would it mean to really be a spiritual theologian and how to like usher in more of a transformational change for people. And also like just live an inspiring life. That's, and I think when I think about that, it's someone who's open to change, continually changing, continually growing because we're never going to be perfect. We're never, you know, but I think that's the, I guess the mirage that I, that I can live in sometimes too, is like, Oh, I need to have this together when it's really like, no, I just need to get closer to God and, and be, someone who actually is a change maker, not just with... Well, and here's a scripture for yeah. you, Habakkuk 3.1, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shiganoth. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day, in our day, in our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. He's sort of saying this prayer like, hey, we know you're awesome, but but there's something going wrong because we're not seeing these awesome things go on. Like, I would like to see churches with 50 people become churches with 500 people. Churches with 100 people become churches with 1,000 people. But yeah. I think we're going to we're gonna have to get God really moving in our lives. And I think being close to God is about changing the things we don't think we can change right. about loving people that we don't think we can love. It's about looking at our church and saying, how can we do it differently? And if we make a mistake, that's fine. But how can we do it differently? It's about making ourselves uncomfortable so that we become attractive, that kind of thing. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, going back to the first question, uh, do I have this kind of relationship with God? You know, there have been times that I have and times I haven't recently. It's more been times I've had, but like you said, it's been uncomfortable. It's, it's changing the very things that either I've given up, believe I can change, or I just don't want to expend that kind of spirituality, meaning the kind of prayer, the kind of getting influence, opening my mind to changing to get there, to become what God wants me to become, to do what he wants me to do. Yeah. And I think that is, that completely goes against the grain of my religious background. Yeah. Where I measured relation with God based on how well am I behaving Yeah. versus how do I see God moving in my life right now? And, and see, when you talk about that, like how am I behaving, how do I see God moving in my life? So I was sitting down, I was I was working on something, and I'd, I'd gotten to know some people in this area of the community where I was working, and I was out, outside, and um, a guy who knew me not real well came up to me and he said, hey, you know, you're a minister, right? And I said, yeah, yeah, I do. I do that. I do I've I've startup. I I I run a nonprofit. I do I do several things, but that's one of the things that I do. And he said, um, um, you know, I have a lot of doubts, and I was wondering if I could get together with you. I have a lot of questions. I'm going to a church. I'm not getting my questions answered. Can I get time with you? And so we got together and sat down, and we continued to talk. To me, that's what it means to have a great relationship with God. That people look at you and they say, "There's something different about that person." I'm attracted to. And yes. I think a lot of religiosity, that's my term for people who are around church, around religion, that believe it, that, as you said, Ray, have their doctrine, but really their life doesn't radiate anything different. Right. And I think people in the world look and see Christians, they go, yeah, yeah, I know, you're a Christian, that's great, that's good, you're a good person, and they, they do that. But they're not, like, attracted. And I think yes. a lot of it is we have to be doing a lot of good, we have to be changing our own life, we have to be uh, admitting our flaws and yes. our errors. I know I got a lot of those. Here's another scripture, and this helps me, Zechariah 4, 6. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord is Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. 
What do you think about this? I think it's not about our effort to change our churches. It's about our capacity to unleash God's power to work in the churches that that produces a church of the 21st century. What do you think about that? I think that's profound because, I mean, that's all over the scriptures for sure. And I, I really like that, that particular scripture, but like, because it's not, I think I get really prideful thinking it's, oh, it's going to be me or I'm going to be a part of this change. But really, it's a collective and all of us coming together. If I mean, I think that not to get too detailed about the body and how are the body of Christ and all that. But I think that really is a way that we kind of let that power manifest in in the world. Can you give me an example? Because I know you can. Can you give me an example of how power can be manifested in a Christian's life? Or Ray, one of, either one of you, I don't care. Oh, wow. I think, I think about um, my relationship with my own dad. For years, um, we were distant, filled with hatred, resentment. I mean, the, rear, the very reason why I ended up in the Bay Area was not just to go to school at Berkeley. Right. But it was really to get away from a relationship I just— no longer believe could ever be changes beyond repair. Right, right, right. I think everybody can relate to that. And yeah, and when I studied the Bible, or some friends showed me this is what a real relationship with God is. Mm-hmm. It meant changing. It meant taking responsibility. It meant wanting to see the roots of my bitterness, my anger, my resentment. Then picking up the phone to actually call him, pushing through all that, and yep. knowing that God was going to come through, knowing that the scriptures actually worked. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Having that kind of um, newfound, I guess, faith or belief mm-hmm. and actually having a conversation to the point where it started off him yelling at me to 30 minutes later, him apologizing to me mm-hmm. and saying, hey, I wish I could be there to see how much your life is changing. Profound. There was, there was no human explanation for years of animosity to all of a sudden change in a 30-minute conversation. See, I think that's what Christianity is missing today. I think people see churches and Christians, and I'm not talking about anyone specific. I know there are a lot of really great Christians out there. Hopefully I'm one. Hopefully we're, we're, we're some of them. But I think what people want, you know, they watch Oprah, and they, they see people reunited and coming together and doing good things and telling their story and pushing through pain. And too often— I don't think they associate that kind of transformation with Christianity. Let me let me let me read one more scripture as we bring this to close. Um, Ephesians three and the New Living Translation in verse sixteen is a prayer by Paul. He says, "I pray that from His glorious unlimited resources, He will empower you with inner strength through His Spirit. Then Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust in Him. Your roots will grow down into God's love." And keep you strong. So when I was working on the paper, it's if you read it, it's not actually written in the tradition that some people are used to me writing in some other areas of despirituality. It's not a paper that is actually studying the Bible. It's more a paper that's trying to help people understand our current culture. I think the most important part of the world is culture. And politics is we are over politicized today. We have too much politics. I'm a politics junkie. I wanted to go into politics. We have too much of it. And that's why I think there's polarization, because the conversation is about politics, 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 when it ought to be about what kind of culture do we want to have. This passage says, look, you need to go deep with God. You need to get the kind of inner strength. There's a concept called being anti-fragile, where even when you're fragile, 
you go through something and you get stronger, not weaker. I think that's what being a Christian is about, that kind of transformative effect. And when you grow those roots down deep, when you stop being so focused on people, when you stop being so focused on who hurt you, didn't hurt you, what went wrong, what didn't go wrong, suddenly your life is transformed by what? By God's love. And that's the story. If you look at the Bible and you see Jacob and you see Joseph and you see all the great people who went through so much, they get their roots down deep, have a complete trust in God, and then they get to make, as the scripture says in verse 17, their home, the home of the home in their hearts is God. That's intimacy. That's abiding. The message translation says something about, about David. It says, I, uh, I chose David because his heart beat with my heart. And I think that my goal is not to make people feel bad about being Christians. It's to make people be inspired about the process of transformation and change. And so when I read the decline of Christianity, which is the big question that uh, Cameron started us out with, like, why did you put that in there? I, that's not discouraging to me. It may be to people who say, well, I disagree. I'm discouraged. Well, I'm sorry. I, I don't know what to do. I'm not uh, perfect, and I don't know how to say everything right. But when I read it, I read mission. I read that's our purpose. Our purpose is to make Christianity so attractive and so inspiring and so transformative that people around the world who are in pain, who are experiencing loss, who feel left out, who are alone, who go to drugs and, and, and have no other answer, they go, I think I found it. And that's what made me want to be a Christian. It wasn't church. I like church. The thing that made me become Christian is God. And that's why I wrote that the spiritual theologian that will build the 21st century church is going to be the person who figures that out. And I hope to be one of them. Hope you guys are one of them. Thanks a lot for listening. This is Deep Spirituality, and we're out.